Well, tonight we're going to do something a little bit different. I want to spend some time together in the Word, and then I really want to end the evening by giving us some practical thoughts, tools, strategies to actually go out there and reach our community for Christ. Uh, My heart's desire is for us to truly cultivate a culture of evangelism uh, in our local church community. If we really believe that the gospel changes people's lives, and I know I do, and I know most of you do, then we will be out there sharing Christ with our friends and our neighbors. So my hope is tonight to uh, encourage us that this is uh, such an important endeavor for us as a church, but it only happens when individuals get boots on the ground and go out uh, and, and share the gospel uh, with others. Um, and that's actually been my goal with this whole uh, look at in Christ in the community and focusing on incarnational living and, and focusing on how invitation can play a piece uh, to this local evangelism uh, puzzle for all of us, understanding that we do have to interject the gospel uh, and, and that all of it has to be wrapped up in, 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 in intercession and prayer uh, for anything of eternal value to take place. I want us to see how this is uh, doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be complicated. Um, it can be simply uh, you and I living out our faith and taking these practical steps to making sure that we are interjecting the gospel into conversations with our friends and our loved ones. So open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is where we are going to begin. And our first point this morning is a biblical example of incarnational ministry. So what we see in in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is is Paul talking about laying aside all of his rights. And and I I don't think there could be a more appropriate passage of Scripture for us in the United States than 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Because unfortunately, as as believers in Christ, uh, our culture has seeped into who we are and how we act as Christians. And, and we are always concerned with our own rights, the way that we appear, uh, and all of those kinds of things. And, and this passage of Scripture just cuts right to the heart of that for us. If you've opened there this evening, we'll begin uh, reading in verse 19 together, where it says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Let's pray together. Father, we truly do want to see you honored and glorified in our community. 
We truly do want to see your gospel penetrating hearts and lives and changing the eternal destinations of our friends, our neighbors, and our loved ones who don't know Christ. So, Father, I pray that the time that we spend in the Word, and I pray that the time that we share some practical steps and ideas and thoughts together, Father, I pray that you would use these things to impact our lives, that the Holy Spirit would work together amongst us, and that we would see uh, a harvest of souls coming to Christ because we know that your gospel is powerful and effective. We know that it does change lives. And so if we would be bold enough to share it, we know that you will be at work in our community. So Lord, challenge us tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I I want us to see in this passage of Scripture that this is all about freedom in Christ. Paul is talking about freedom in Christ in this passage of Scripture. And for us to truly understand uh, freedom in Christ, I think that you and I need to really understand that that what freedom in Christ truly is. It, It means that we are submitted always in all things to Christ. And, and, and that's a bit of a conundrum, and that's a bit, uh, it seems like an oxymoron, but you and I need to understand that, that freedom in Christ doesn't mean the freedom for you and I to do only as we please. It means that we've committed our, our lives to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and he now owns us. But the beauty of that is that in Christ, we have freedom from sin. And so, so when, when we're talking about being in Christ in the community, we understand that being in Christ means that we have freedom from sin. And, and we have freedom from judgment and wrath, and we have freedom from the shame that's involved with sin, and, and we have freedom from the fear of sin. And these freedoms are truly what, what should compel us to, to communicate to others around us what it means to be in Christ. And if we're going to be in Christ in the community, we have to re- represent that correctly. And Paul says, you know, I have lots of rights and, you know, I'm an apostle. You know, did I not see Jesus? Did he not appear to me? I'm an apostle just like any of the other apostles, but but I'm not going to use my freedom to to have things done for me. I'm not going to use my freedom for selfish gain. I'm not going to use my freedom for any of those kinds of things because freedom truly is being submitted in all ways and in all things to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and knowing that he is. He's going to meet all of our needs. He's going to comfort us. He's going to take care of us. And he's going to use us in a way that honors and glorifies him. And we also need to understand that that freedom then is not to simply just do as I please. The freedom to live for me. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So we must honor God with our bodies. We belong to Christ. Freedom in Christ means that, that we are truly living for him and for him Alone, And so, so I, I say that this is a prime example of, of incarnational li- living, and I want us to see that ultimately freedom in Christ is incarnational living. And what I mean by that is this. When we are living out what it means for us to know Christ and to be in Christ, that is, in essence, you and I being salt and light in the community. That is you and I uh, living for our Savior in a way that, that, that doesn't put the focus on us, but it puts the focus on who he is and what he's done for us. It takes the eyes off of uh, what is Chad doing? What is that family doing? What, are your, what is your family doing? And, and it takes the eyes off of us 
And it puts it on Christ. And so we are representing Christ in our community. And, and people aren't looking at us when we're living for him. And instead they are seeing Christ himself. So what, what does that look like? Well, this passage of scripture says, though I, am a, though I am free, I'm ultimately a servant. To who? To the Jews. To who else? To those who are outside of the law. To all things, to all people. He's, he's living in a way that people in his community, those who are around him every day of his life, they're seeing something different in him. Well, what exactly are they seeing? Well, they're, they're seeing that, that Paul says, I have made myself a servant. You know, sometimes we like to think that, that being a Christian is always going to be easy. You know, and it's just going to come naturally for us to, to walk with Jesus and to live for him and to, to live a righteous, holy, set-apart life for him. But that's not the reality. We wage war against the flesh within us every day. We, we struggle with our own selfish desires And Paul says, I have made myself a servant to all. Why? Because I want to see some of them come to know him. I want to win some of them to Christ. And he says then to the Jews, I became a Jew. I I knew that that is is what would resonate with them. And and so so I, I shared the gospel with them in a way that made sense to them as a Jew. I lived my, my in Christ nature amongst them that way in order to win the Jews. To those who were, were trying to obey the law, I, I showed them that I tried to become like one who was under the law, though the law is not what's going to save me. But I, but I tried to show them that, that living, what it means to live that way. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. And, and we're familiar with this passage, and, and, and I hope, and I know that we, when we look at these things, we say, okay, these are all just kind of different categories of people, and, and what does that have to do with us today? I want you and I to understand, much like Pastor Ron said in our very first Sunday morning together, we do live in a very dark culture, but you and I have to learn to exegete that culture, meaning we have to learn and understand what it's like. What are your neighbors like? Are, are the neighbors in your community just like the neighbors in my community? Or are they a little, are they a little bit different? You know, it, it may seem like a small difference, but, but the difference between somebody who lives seven miles out of the city of St. John's and somebody who lives in a little suburb in the middle of St. John's, there's going to be some cultural differences in the way that they act toward one another. And we need to know that and understand that. If we're going to try to reach them, we need to do that. What's, what's the culture like in your workplace? It's going to be different. The culture in my workplace is hopefully different than the one that you work in. But you have to understand what the culture in your workplace is like. You have to, to know what those people are like. And so, so we all have different categories of people that God has brought into our world. And, and so we have to make ourselves, we have to become. He says, I made myself, I became, I became, I became, I became weak. I, I have become all things to all people. You and I have to make a concerted effort to break into the lives of the people that God has placed in your life. It's not just going to be something that naturally happens. Most people are, are most naturally easy, most easily concerned about the things going on in their own life, their own family, their own kids, their own work, all of those different kinds of things. You and I have to force ourselves to become 
involved in these people's lives. It's not something that is going to happen just naturally. Our flesh will cry out against it because we have to uh, die to self each and every day and to live for Christ where he has placed us. And that means that much like Paul says here, we have to live completely and utterly different than the world in which he's placed us. We have to be in Christ in community. You and I have to be the representation of what the gospel looks like. We have to show people what a life changed by the gospel looks like. And the only way that we can do that is by rubbing shoulders with them and being involved with them. And, 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 and it doesn't matter whether they're the weak, whether they're the, those that are outside the law, those who think they're going to live by the law, whatever category of people it might be. You and I have to break into their lives and to share with them what that looks like. That's what incarnational living is. But we know that none of this is going to be enough on its own. Them looking at my life, your life, even these folks, the Jews, the weak, those outside the law, just looking at Paul's life wasn't enough. Look at what he says there. I became, I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some, and I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. He, Paul says, I know the blessings of what it means to be in Christ. And all of that is accessible to us only because of the gospel. And so I desire to share that with others. That is his heart's cry and passion. The freedom of being in Christ, lived out in our daily lives. That's what incarnational living looks like. And that's the example that Paul sets for us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And so, so I, I kind of want to use this as, as a, a, a springboard for us to launch into kind of a discussion of, of really some practical ways that, that we can be involved in local evangelism. And I, I want to continue to unpack the rest then. If this is what incarnational living looks like, I want to continue to then unpack what, what it means to then uh, live in such a way that we're inviting people and, and we're interceding for them and, and that you and I are then interjecting the gospel into these kinds of conversations because it isn't just enough to live amongst them for their sake. We have to make sure uh, that we are sharing the gospel with them. And so the next thing that I want us to think about is then, okay, in this context, what does invitation look like? What does invitation look like for you and for me? And I want us to understand that, and, and I know I said this a couple weeks ago, but invitation is simply more than just inviting people to church. It's really uh, inviting them to share life with you, and your life should include this body of believers together. And so you're, you're inviting people to share a, a close-knit life with you um, as you are walking daily with your Savior. And so, but the first thing that I want us to kind of think about is why do people visit church? Why do people visit church? And, and you know, I looked at probably five or six different studies in the past couple weeks, and I was absolutely dumbfounded. I mean, I kind of expected some of these results, but I was dumbfounded by the overwhelming information in these statistics. 
And they show overwhelmingly that people come to church because a friend has invited them. That's why, or a friend told them about a church. One study said this, we asked more than 50,000 people over the last 10 years why they came to church. And between 75 and 90% of respondents say, I began attending because someone invited me. A different study said that people came to church through the following forms of contact. 2% by advertisement. 6% by pastoral invitation. 6% by organized evangelism campaigns. And 86% by friends or relatives inviting them. I guess the pastors don't have to go door to door, but it might help if you go door to door with the people that God's placed in your lives. Only 6% come when a pastor invites them, but 86% come when a friend or an el- uh, a, a relative invites them. Another study said this. One study found 37% of Christians actually linked their conversion to being invited to church by a friend. 40% who, who joined first came uh, in another study because a friend invited them. So we see repeatedly over and over and over, people come to church because they are invited by somebody. Now, as I dove into some of those studies, it's, 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 it was interesting. Um, they, some of them followed up on what led you to accept the invite of your friend or relative. And more often than not, it was some kind of hurt, pain, trial, or persecution going on in their life. They had a real, genuine struggle going on in their life. And so they reached out to a friend, and that friend shared church invitations with them. Uh, I wrote this down from uh, Karen's presentation uh, this morning. We look past the brokenness of life and say, let me tell you about Jesus. That was when uh, Roxanne was sharing about what it means to be an advisor. And she said, we look past the brokenness of life and say, let me tell you about Jesus. And I thought that that was just a perfectly uh, summed up way of what it means for you and I to share our faith in a way that's non-confrontational. Someone comes to us with their hurts, with their pains, and we tell them about the one person who is the solution to all of those things. And that is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, many of those studies that talk about the importance of inviting friends to church, they also did some other follow-up things. And this is perhaps the most convicting thing that I read this entire week. In light of all of those statistics that show that inviting people to church and church activities is what causes them to come. And then most often those that get saved through the church ministries, almost half of them have been invited there by a friend. This statistic is also resoundingly true from most of the studies. Only about 2% of actual church people invite their friends to come to church with them. So overwhelmingly, in, in invitation is the way to get people to come into the doors. And only 2% of Christians actually invite unsaved friends to come. If nothing else, 
changes because of local evangelism month. I hope that that changes. And I hope that you and I will see that this local body of believers loves Jesus. And we're trying to live out our faith together. And we should be inviting people to come and to hear what that means in their lives. And inviting them to join our small groups. Inviting them to come to church services. Inviting them to come to Christmas services. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit more. But, but, but you and I need to see the importance of our lovingly inviting people to come. And the best part is, is it costs us absolutely nothing. All it might cost us is rejection if someone says no. And that's something we should be able to get past on our own. So then the next thing I want us to think about is, okay, then who should you invite? I'd like everybody to take out a piece of paper. I intended to have the ushers have little scraps of paper for everybody to write on. And maybe you're somebody with a quick mind and you can remember a list pretty easily. And you don't need to write it. There's pens if you don't have one. And all the seats kind of spread out through auditorium here in front of you. And I want you to begin helping me make a list of friends in your life. I want you to list some friends that you know well. I want you to actually do that. You can do it mentally or write them down. I figured if I gave everybody scraps of paper, they'd end up all over the floor and then then Daryl would be upset with me. He wouldn't be upset. He'd, he'd, He'd be okay with it. I know this is hard for some of you because you don't have any friends. That's not true. Hopefully everybody out here has at least some friends. So in your mind, hopefully you have, you know what, this is a great group. Hopefully you have a list of 10 people at least that, that you have just immediately thought of as your list of friends. Maybe it's only four or five, but I want you to think about this, all right? Of those people on your list... Who goes to this church? Cross them off your list. Cross them off your mental list if you're able to do that. Okay, how about of those ones that are left on your list, how many of them go to a different Bible-believing church? They're, they're great dear friends in the Lord, and you know that they love Jesus, and, uh, and they have a relationship with him. Cross them off your list. Who on that list, you're not sure if they go to church anywhere, but you know what, they at least show evidence of having a relationship with Christ and you've had some spiritual conversations with them and, and you're fairly confident that, that they probably know Jesus. Put a circle around them. Anybody that's on your list, that their name is not crossed off and their name's not circled, those are people that you have already identified as friends who you have a good relationship with that you don't think go to church anywhere and most likely don't have a relationship with Christ. That's where you start. You invite them to come. You begin thinking about things that you can invite them to. You begin thinking about ways that you can interact with them, and we'll get into that a little bit more later. And maybe you're here and everybody on your list has already been crossed off. 
because everybody on your friends list either goes to this church or goes to another Bible-believing church or has a relationship with Christ and you're not sure where they go to church. Well, even that is something that you and I can change. We can't use our freedom in Christ to just surround ourselves only with those who love Jesus. Paul used his freedom in Christ to do all for the sake of the gospel, that he could share in the blessings of the gospel with people when they would come to know Jesus. He wanted to share in that joy. And if you've ever had the chance to lead somebody to Christ, you know the joy that comes from that. That's the the joy that Paul wants to share in with people, and that's what I hope that we would want to share in as a congregation. And so hopefully we have a list of people from this congregation right here tonight that we can invite to come and to hear the good news of Christ. That we can come when, when special services are going on, in particular Christmas and those kinds of things, when people are already thinking about spiritual things, we can use this as an opportunity to, to say, hey, if you don't have a church, why don't you come to our Christmas Eve service? Hey, if you don't have a church, why don't you come during this Christmas time and, and hear what Christ is really all about? So that leads me to, okay, well then where, where do you invite them? I've already said, hey, invite them to Christmas Eve services, invite them to those kinds of things, but you can also invite them to go out to coffee with you. And Karen Leaf has already graciously provided some great Bible studies that you could say, hey, have you ever studied the Bible together? We could go over this and meet together every other week as an opportunity for you to share with them the good news of Christ. You and I can, can invite them to those kinds of things. And it doesn't have to be awkward. It, you can invite families over for dinner. For those people who have maybe strolled into our church just because they were looking for a place to settle down with their family, when, they, when you kind of walk through the foyer and there's a family that looks kind of wide-eyed like, wow, this is a lot of people and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You could approach them and say, hey, what are you guys doing after service? I'm, I'm so-and-so. It's really nice to meet you. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes it's really hard to invite new people like to your house for dinner. But maybe you could say, we would love to buy your family dinner after, after the church service and get to know you a little bit. Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to come out with us? And if they say no, then say, well, what about next week? Because guess what? Now they're coming back to church next week if you invite them so that they can go to dinner with you. And I know you're probably thinking, well, yeah, but Chad, uh, we've already planned our dinner, um, and we have our, uh, this, this thing that we do uh, on Sundays after church. We, we go home, and, and we, we already have a dinner, and it's probably going to like dry out in the oven uh, if I don't get there. Um, well, yeah, you know what? You have the freedom to go and have your dinner at home. But maybe you shouldn't use your freedom just for you, and you should use your freedom to set it aside and to to take this opportunity to share the gospel with someone else. And I'm not saying you need to do that every week, but those are simple, easy things that you and I can do. If you see a mom with young children that's, that's struggling to, to get her kids where they need to be, you can come alongside and say, hey, can I help you with that? Man, I remember what it was like when I had little kids. Can I, can I somehow assist you so that you can hear the service, so that you can be here and hear the good news of Christ? These are simple little things that you and I can do that can make 
an eternal difference in the lives of people. But I want to make sure that we spend time looking at, okay, interjection. If that's what, if incarnational living gives us these opportunities and we're inviting people into sharing our life, maybe going out to coffee, coming to dinner with my family, coming over to our house, doing a Bible study together, inviting them to church, inviting them to Christmas services, those are the things that invitation can look like. But then what does it mean for me to interject the gospel? You know, uh, I came across a quote from evangelismcoach.org last week, actually. It says this, God's sovereignty is not an excuse to avoid evangelism, nor to be sloppy in our presentation. You know, I think sometimes when we go, well, you know, God is sovereign, and so I don't need to necessarily worry about how I present the gospel. While I do believe wholeheartedly in the sovereignty of God, I also don't think I should use the freedom of the fact that God is sovereign to be sloppy and to, be, uh, to, to not take evangelism opportunities seriously. And so I would really like to challenge all of us here. If you have not had the opportunity to share the gospel with someone in the last year, sometimes the reason we don't do that is we're just not comfortable with what that might look like. So I would encourage everyone who is in here this evening to master one good gospel presentation. I don't think we all need to have every single one down, but every person should have a go-to gospel presentation that they have prepared well in advance, they know how to share, so that when an opportunity arises, they will share that. Or better yet, so that they will be looking for an opportunity to share that. Our freedom in Christ, just the fact that God is sovereign, should not be an excuse for us to not be prepared. And I don't care what that illustration is. It might be the bridge man that they talked about from the beacon presentation this morning. Or it might be the bridge illustration. We have tracks that are available in our rack in the back. Maybe you really want to, I I hesitate to say old school, because I know Pastor Tim preached through this just a couple years ago, but maybe you're an old school Romans Road guy, four spiritual laws guy, whatever it is. If that's yours, that is absolutely fine, but you need to master it. Maybe you like to share Jesus without fear. I shared one with our teens prior to our missions trip called the three circles. It's a really easy way to share the gospel. If you want to know what that one is, I can point you to some websites. I can give you some information. I can share it with you. It'll take you just a minute to understand it, but then you have to master it. Understand the verses that go along with it, like Roxanne did a good job of sharing with us this morning. And then you will be able to more effectively, more confidently present the gospel to people. And I would just challenge you that, that a good gospel presentation, when I say good gospel presentation, it simply needs to include the fact that there, there is an understanding of what sin is and, and the nature of sin and how it separates us from a holy and righteous God. And, and it needs to talk about like then our abil- inability to save ourselves but that God wants to reconcile our relationship with him. And so in Christ, when he sent Christ for us, he accomplished everything that was necessary for our salvation so that you and I could have forgiveness of sins and have 
a reconciled relationship with our holy and righteous God. It has to include that Christ died for our sins and that he rose victoriously from the grave. It has to include those simple things and it has to help them to understand what forgiveness means. And it has to help, it has to help them to know that they have to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Some of those, some of those can be kind of combined into simple uh, concepts together, but, but that's a good co- gospel presentation has to include those things. And so then what about intercession? We know that, that someone getting saved is a, truly an act of the Holy Spirit. And if we really believe that, then you and I need to, to think about what it means then to pray for and to intercede for our friends. So I want to give you quickly 10 prayer points for evangelism that I've just stolen from praying your, fa- your friends to Christ. These are uh, listed in the sermon notes. If you don't have those, they are on the uh, board in the back as you... Uh, are in the foyer uh, facing the auditorium there. So you, you can write all 10 of these down if you'd like. Uh, I, I always tease a, a particular teen who is always scribbling notes furiously. Uh, I've made it easy for you. They're on that piece of paper and there's probably enough for everybody. And so I'm not going to elaborate on these much, but I want you to look at the scriptures that go along with these in your own time. One, ask God to open their spiritual eyes. Because they are blinded to the gospel. And you need God to intercede and open their spiritual eyes. Two, ask God to give them ears to hear. That, that there wouldn't be distractions. That, that the things of this world wouldn't crowd out the gospel message. And that they would truly hear the good news. Three, you could ask God to give them faith to believe. Four, ask God to give them the will to respond. Five, ask God to send people into their lives to witness to them. It may be you, it may be someone else, but pray that God would just bombard them with believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who would be a good witness and who would interject the gospel into their lives. Six, ask God for ways to build caring relationships. You you know, maybe you were one of those people that that most of the names on your list were crossed off because they go to church here or they go somewhere else. That's okay. But you could endeavor in your heart tonight. You could commit to God. You know, I want to develop those kinds of friendships with people that don't know Jesus so that I can share the love of Christ with them. And you know what? They may look like they are people who are who are outside the law. But you know what? I'm going to reach out to them anyway and, and pray that God would help you to build caring relationships with those kinds of people who are without Christ. Seven, ask God for opportunities to witness. Eight, ask for boldness to witness. Nine, ask God for opportunities to invite them. And ten, ask God to set them free from spiritual captivity. Now, for those of you who are planners, we are still months away from Christmas. I know it seems like it's six months away, but it's not that far away. You can right now begin thinking about using these scriptures and these prayer points to pray for friends in your life that you can be inviting to 
our evening of Christmas music. Maybe they're a musical person who would be encouraged by that and there will be some kind of witness and gospel message in that. You can invite them to our Christmas Eve service, which is a service that, that, that we used to kind of set aside uh, mostly as or only our church folks, but, but it is a, an opportunity to reach out too. It is an opportunity where the Christmas season is an opportunity where even those who are not believers in Christ will come to church and they'll think about spiritual things. You can use this, these months ahead to be planning for, to be praying for, and to then let somebody else in your life know the friends that you're praying for and the ones that you would like to invite. So that you now have accountability. And they can say to you, hey Chad, how about your friend so-and-so that you said you were going to invite to, to the Christmas Eve service? How's that been going? Have you taken them out for coffee yet? Have you had a chance to invite them yet? That's what it looks like to, to, to pray for and then to follow up on these things. But where the rubber really meets the road is answering this question. Will you and I actually do it? Or will we use our freedom that we have in Christ to live our self-satisfied in Christ relationships that we have right here? I am so thankful. We have a beautiful group of believers, a great body here. But if it's that fantastic... Shouldn't we want those who are outside of Christ to come and to experience that too? Shouldn't we want them to, to come and to know what it means to have this kind of body where, where we can love on one another, where we challenge one another, where we encourage one another daily in our walks, where we spur one another on toward love and, and good deeds, where we minister to one another when we're hurting, when we take care of things for people when, when they can't do them on their own? If that is who we are, we should want them to come and to know Christ and to, as Paul said, share with them in the blessings of the gospel. That's what you and I should want to do. So, so to end tonight, I'm going to give us some shotgun other concepts to be thinking about for personal evangelism. And if you are a social savvy person, in the next several weeks and months, I will be kind of putting these out there in tweets and, and posting some to our Facebook page because I want to, this to be on the forefront of our minds. We've talked about prayer and interceding. And you know, if we're going to pray that God would give us conversations to have open doors with people, then we actually need to then be on the lookout because maybe God's given us open doors every day in the last week and, and we've just not even been paying attention to that. But one tip that I want us to think about is that, you know, you and I, in the very least, can review our personal testimony about how we came to know Christ. You can share that then with others. And you might practice it like you did, like you should with the gospel presentation. How do you master a gospel presentation? You practice it. You practice it on your kids, you practice it on your spouse, you practice it on your parents, you practice it on somebody so that you have it mastered. And you can do the same thing when you're sharing your testimony. You know, many people who uh, have come to our church for a long time who are, are not wanting to be members, they say, well, you know, I just don't know if I can share my testimony in front of the church. 
And, and I get that. It's, it's not an easy thing, so I don't mean to belittle that fear in any sense. But if you can't share your testimony in front of a group of believers who love Jesus, you're never going to share it in, in the middle of somebody who doesn't know Jesus in a crowd that may be confrontational to your faith or oppositional to your faith. So we should be celebrating the gospel with one another as often as we can. Not just from up front when we're sharing our testimony, but in our small groups, in our homes, all of these ways pointing to, to Jesus and practicing then our personal testimony. We can also review sermons. And, you know, if only the church had a website where you could send somebody a link that says, hey, I heard this message on this. You should check it out. Here's a link. Oh, wait, we do. You can send them to our webpage and, and you can link it and just send it right to them and say, hey, check this sermon out. You can get a CD for them and drop it off and say, man, I, I heard this message. It was really impacting in my life. I hope that you can listen to this. It might be an encouragement to you as well. You can, you can hear daily the hurts and pains in someone's life and offer to pray for them. You can take the time to visit your neighbors. You know, those people that God actually placed in proximity to you. And if you're a techie person, you can take a Google satellite image of your neighborhood. If you can't do that, I can take a Google satellite image of your neighborhood. And you can write in the names. And you can say, I'm going to pray for so-and-so. And I'm going to pray for so-and-so. I'm going to pray for this is who the... You know, I don't know this neighbor. I'd like to meet them. Maybe I should take them some cookies and just say, hey, you know, I know we've lived next to one another for five years, but we've never met. And then you can put their name on that as a tool. And then... Maybe you just, as you're visiting with them, you find out some things about them and you, you can make a list of things that you can be praying about with them. You can find a place to serve in our community so that you can be in regular contact with those outside of our church who don't know Jesus. There's things like you'll be seeing in the next couple weeks that there's a community Thanksgiving dinner where it's, the whole purpose is to praise God for his hand of blessing that we have. And you might go there and eat with others and celebrate God's goodness. Or you might serve there and help encourage people to celebrate God's goodness. You could work with kids there and celebrate God's goodness. You can do what Pastor Mike mentioned this morning and, and work in a community band. You can coach a team that you don't have a kid on. Maybe you don't have kids that, and you're like, man, I really miss Little League Baseball. Golly gee, if only there was a way I could get involved again. I have good news. You can. And you can be a salt, you can be a salt and light in that team for Christ. You can look for ways to impact the community. But I'm telling you, you're going to have to make yourself Paul said, I made myself. I became a Jew. I became as one under the law. I became as one outside the law. I became like the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some and I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. And I hope that's your desire to share in the blessings of the gospel in this community with people who need to know Christ. Let's pray. 
Father, we know it's not complicated. And we know that you are a sovereign God. And we know that the gospel changes people. So I I pray that you would help us to conquer our fear and to invest in the lives around us and to boldly proclaim the good news of salvation to all who would hear so that you may save some and call some to yourself and we can rejoice with them in the blessings of the gospel. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.